you know, last Sunday, as I said, we were talking about that the first church, they had a continual devotion to four specific things. And we walked through those things, seeing how um, it was um, useful for them then, useful for us now. The first thing that we, we saw they were continually devoting themselves to was to doctrine. They were teaching the Word of God constantly. And again, this weekend in our men's retreat, it was a focus on the importance of God's Word. And uh, Brother Jackson even brought up uh, in Peter, where Peter says that he is, it's his job basically to stir the church, the believers up, in remembrance of the things that they already knew. And uh, that's one of the things that's so important for us. Why? Because we live in a world that's constantly changing. We live in a world where our circumstances and our emotions are always in, in, in just up and down. You know, we go through a good time, we go through a bad time. We, even as a nation, right, we, we, were, we were all good before corona hit. And then everything's, you know, we're like, it's crazy now. And, and our, so our circumstances change, but all along there's something that has never changed through it all. And it's been the Word of God. God's Word has stay, stayed true. It's, it's eternal. And so it is that rock. It is the, is the truth, the only truth, the absolute truth we have to rely on in our life. And so, again, the first church realized they had the truth with them. They had the Word with them walking in flesh. And then he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, and he left with them the Holy Spirit. And as he was breathing into these men who were pinning this down, uh, he was working in the midst of that first church. And they were reminding themselves over and over and over what Jesus taught. The doctrine was so important. But that doctrine also facilitated true fellowship. One of the things that is, is found, supposed to be found unique inside the body of Christ is a fellowship that is only facilitated by doctrine and by the Holy Spirit. And so we have something in this body, we have something in, in Christianity that's unique from every other social group, it's unique from every other group that we may be a part of in this, on this earth. And it's, again, it's made possible by the Holy Spirit and it's made possible by doctrine. Again, this, this first church, we're finding themselves in true communion with the Lord and with each other because it was, it was made possible through that, that, that doctrine that they were constantly reminding themselves of, that, that helped them want to be together as well. Whenever they found that, that unity of the Spirit and unity around doctrine, they not only participated in the Lord's Supper, we know that they were also eating common meals together. And I encouraged us last week to do that. If you're not spending time with, with the, the people in this church outside of the time that we're around God's Word here, outside of the time... Uh, that we maybe have a church-wide fellowship, then I urge you and encourage you to do that, to, to, to break bread with people. That's part of us being together uh, as a church. Then we also saw them participating or continually devoting themselves to prayer. And again, kind of as maybe the end cap of what they were devoting themselves to, uh, this, this, this church was uh, on fire. God was blessing it. God was adding to it. God was doing amazing things in it, but it was in part because they were making themselves available and they were also acting in faith on the things that God had commanded them to do. Again, thousands of people were being saved, thousands of people, uh, their lives were being changed, and it all because God took a little bit of faith and did the miraculous, the impossible actually. I, I want to read something from a book uh, D.L. Moody wrote a long time ago. It's called To the Work. And uh, in this, this section, before we actually get into the message, uh, he's talking about the important role that faith plays in the work of God. Because again, we, we were seeing God do the impossible, God do the miraculous. God was, uh, as I just said, adding thousands of people. People's lives were being transformed. This church was experiencing supernatural unity 
and, and, and power, and there were so many amazing things going on. But was it, but was it this, this group of people just sitting back and saying, all right, God, you show up and do something amazing, right? Sometimes I think that's where we get, even in 2020, we, we, we pray, and prayer is important. We've got to pray. We, we, we ask God to do amazing things. We want God to show up and change our family. We want God to show up and change our kids. We want God to show up and change our, our, our nation. We want God to show up and, and change so many things that need change in, in this world. But I think sometimes we're, we're kind of sitting back in a lazy way, not really putting into action the faith that we say that we have in God. And this is where this, this comes in. And this is where, again, we see maybe a difference between that first church and what's happening in 2020. I'm not particularly in this church. But across the church, I think a lot in America, but this is, this is the, the clip from his book. Caleb and Joshua were men of faith. They were worth more to Israel than all of the camp of the unbelievers and the other ten spies put together. After they, they, after they had gone 30 days, the twelve came back, twelve spies, with what we might call a minority report and a majority report. All the twelve admitted that the land was good land. But the ten, of the, the ten spies with the majority report said that we're not able to take it. We saw giants, the sons of Anak. You can see the crowds that are gathered around them and they're listening to their different reports. And it's probably very few of them that were gathered around to hear the minority report of Caleb and Joshua. It really seems sometimes that people are much more ready to believe a lie than to believe the truth. So these unbelieving men were gathered around the ten spies, and one of them is describing the giants of the land, and he says this, well, I had to look right up in order to see their faces. They, they made the earth tremble at their tread. The mountains and the valleys are full of them. Then we saw great walled cities. We're not able to take the land. But Caleb and Joshua had a quite, quite a different story to tell. These men of faith remembered that how God had delivered them out of the, land, uh, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and brought them through the Red Sea, and, and how he had given them bread from heaven to eat, water to drink from the rock in the wilderness in the desert. If he marched with them, surely they could go right up and take the possession of the land, like he commanded. So they said, let us go up at once and possess it. We are well able to take it. So two different reports. Some are saying it's just too much, it's too big, it's too, too intimidating, that we can't do it, we need to turn around and go back. And then you have the two, the minority report, that are saying, listen, God has been with us every step of the way, and God has commanded us to go forward in faith, so let's go up right now and take the land. What do we see in the church of God today, he says. Again, this is, this is quite a while back. He says about... 10 out of every 12 professing Christians are looking at the giants, at the walls, at the difficulties that are in the way. And they say, we're not able to accomplish this work. We might do it if, if there were not so many drinking saloons. That, that puts it in context for you. <laughs> drinking saloons and so much drunkenness and so many atheists and opposers. Which is interesting, right? Because there's not a whole lot that has changed. We may not call them saloons anymore. He goes on to say, let us not give heed to those unbelieving professors. If we have faith in God, we are well able to go up and possess the land for Christ. And again, in our context, we think about America. God always delights to honor faith. 
It may be some sainted weak woman, some bedridden one who's not able to attend the, the gatherings of the church will bring down the blessings. And the day when every man's work is tested, it may be seen that some hidden one who honored God by a simple faith was the one that caused, caused such a blessing to descend upon our cities as shall shake the land from end to end. And again, this, this first church, an impeccable example of what faith is and what it looks like and what it produces. What, what it does is it, it displays complete confidence in the Lord. And it also produces opportunities through faith and obedience for the Lord to do what only He can do. And again, that's what we've seen, the impossible. So, I mean, there's no way that things are going to turn around here. There's no way that things are going to change here. Or, or, or you know, let, let's say, well, what happens in, in November? Listen, look, I, I don't care who wins in November. I don't care what happens in this, in this land. If we are the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, Almighty God, then we are similar to the, we're, it's not the same exact example, we are similar to those Israelites looking at that, that, that city, looking at that land. We we're the same as, as even before. said, so listen, what's it going to take to see God move in this land? I believe it's going to take us being similar to that first church. Amen. So you know what? God has called us to do this. And so let's not fear. Let's not worry. Let's not think about what we can or can't do. Let's, let's be obedient and let's walk by faith. Amen. So this morning I want to look in Acts chapter 3. And, and the first verse that we read is verse 1. It says, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour let's pray and, and we'll get into this father thank you again for this time thank you for again all that you do and all that you've done in our lives and our church lord we thank you for the opportunity to be your people on this earth in this season of of mankind uh, lord we we realize that there are things in our life that have become more difficult more uncomfortable more distasteful and um, not as enjoyable as our lives once were maybe but God we realize that we're here just for a moment anyways we realize that in this moment you've given us opportunity you've given us opportunity to live a life that glorifies you that that points to you that points others to you you've given us an opportunity to not only experience temporal blessings but to live on this earth with eternal blessings and and, and to share that with other people. God, help our lives, help our hearts, our minds be tuned the right way. That we're here for you, we're here for others. Lord, when we get to that place where we become selfish and we make it about us, show us that we're backslidden. Lord, show us that, that we're in the wrong place. God, I pray that you'll, you'll help us as a church, as a people, to grab hold of what you have for us this morning. Lord, help us to, to hear the Spirit instruct and convict and, and, and help us respond rightly to your word. Again, if there's somebody here that doesn't have a real personal relationship with you through faith in Christ, Lord, they're not 100% sure that heaven is their eternal home. If there's somebody like that, Lord, please, please work in their life, convict them. Lord, show them that they can change that today. You can change that today if they will surrender their life to you. Lord, just move in this place and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we see right off the bat, going into chapter 3, chapter 2, if you were here again, remember, 
all of these amazing things God is adding to the church daily, so many amazing things going on, and they just continue on in this same devotion, dedication to the important things. And it says that Peter and John go up to the temple at the hour of prayer to pray. Now, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, 3 p.m., what we know as 3 p.m., was one of a a couple different times of prayer uh, for, or the hours of prayer for uh, the Jewish people. And this, again, I think is key, showing us the importance of prayer. They've seen the Lord do amazing things. They've seen him do the miraculous, the impossible. And now they are saying, you know what? Let's continue on. Some people say, why did, why did that first church, um, if they were Jews and then they were converted and they became followers of Christ, if they were Jews, why did they continue on in some of those ceremonial things? Why did they continue on in some of those uh, Jewish customs, if you will? Again, one of the things that we, we do here as Americans is we do customary things. It's just customary for us to do because it's what we do in America. Some people, you go to other parts of the world, and they're like, why do you do that? Well, this is what we do in America. And so, again, some of this was uh, Jewish customs that was ingrained into the culture. Some of it was what they did as a people, regardless of their religious beliefs. And so, again, that's where you get some of the Pharisees, Sadducees, some of those lawyers and scribes, some of the people that were completely legalistic in their approach to religion. And then you get people who are on the secular side, who are just doing it because it was a cultural thing. Again, it doesn't seem like there's a lot that has changed in our world, right? Because I think... We can see the same kind of uh, microcosm in the church today. You have people who are very legalistic about their approach to the relationship with Christ. You have people who are ultra-liberal, and then you have even people who are nominal, people who who are just doing the Christian thing because it's culturally what they're supposed to do. And um, and so these guys, their lives have been changed. They've seen the power of prayer. They go up at the hour of prayer to pray, yet something is about to change what they thought was going to happen. In verse 2 it says, there was a certain lame man, or man lame from his mother's womb, and he was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that enter into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. So i just kind of give you a little bit of a picture. This man was 40 years old, and he was lame from his mother's womb, it says. His whole life he had never walked. And every day he relied on people because he couldn't walk. He couldn't, you know, and this, again, specifically that day and time, uh, there was not a welfare system. There was not, you know, programs that he could be a part of. Matter of fact, as a man being disabled, he was really, really, really low in society. I think we even see that in the story that Jesus told about the rich man of Lazarus. But this man's laid at the, the gate of, of, the, uh, of the temple, the, the gate called uh, Beautiful. And it's likely a, a really massive gate. Uh, some people estimate that it was maybe 75 foot uh, tall, huge, to accommodate the masses that were going through. Some people say, well, where was the gate? Was it on the outside? Did it separate the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women? Where, where it was? It, it was possibly exactly there. But no doubt, he was placed there because there was a lot of people that uh, every day would walk by to offer sacrifices. And because they were coming in to give an offering and offer sacrifices, the chances of them having a little bit extra to give to him were higher. And so again, this is why I believe, or why many people believe that he was laid at this specific gate every single day. He was relying on other people to give him his needs. Verse 4, Peter, fastening his eyes on him with John, said, look on us. And I, you know, the Bible is amazing. It's, it, it's, it's alive, and it, 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 I, I love the Word of God, but 
sometimes there's little intricacies that we don't get if we just read right through it, right? Think about this. This man, picture in your mind, he, he's sitting right outside this huge gate. Masses of people are passing by him. And um, maybe there's a little bit of a lull, but he sees specifically Peter and John approaching the gate. And if you imagine, if you, you you've have had encounters with beggars or people asking sometimes who are, who are handicapped, you, you see them sometimes, they just kind of have their head down and, and they'll be asking for, for help. You know, in our day and time, they, there's, there's signs a lot of times and, and they, they a lot of times won't look. And I think there's several different reasons why that's involved. But this man, it says, he saw Peter and John approaching the gate and he looked up at them. And I can imagine that he kind of looked back down and he, when he says, Sirs, can, do you have something that you can give me or, or, you know, alms or however it was said. Peter and John walk up next to him and they stop. And he says this, look at us. Which again, we say, why, why is that so important? I think Peter was, was assigning this man value maybe that he didn't have in himself. I want you to look at us. Uh, there's something more important that, that, that's about to happen than us simply giving you something that you're going to use and it's going to go away. Look at us. I think he also wanted them, wanted this man to see the sincerity in their eyes. Wanted to be able to, to tell just how important it was what they were about to say. The value of the gift that they were about to offer far exceeding that of what she was asking for. I also think that he was wanting, them, wanting him to look at them and see that they were just common people. They weren't rich guys. They weren't, they weren't anything important in, in man's sight. But these were the people that God had chose to lead. These were the people that God had chose to take the gospel. Ordinary, regular fishermen, regular guys. And so I believe Peter says, I want you to look at us. He says this, the man looked up at him and gave heed to them. So thinking, maybe you're going to give me a big offering, you know. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, verse 6, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. This, that's an amazing, amazing story. Because, again, we're talking about Peter, a common fisherman. This, this overzealous, always putting his foot in his mouth, jumping the gun, always ready to even run and hide if he was in trouble. Peter, this man with such zeal, such passion, such emotion, had to, believe, had to be, I, I, I think, a, a, a successful fisherman because of this passion, because of his zeal. I think that he, in his zeal and his, his drive, the way that he was, he, he probably knew the waters. He knew where the fish was, were. This, this man was the one that Jesus came and absolutely changed his life. And when his life was changed, again, I think he poured that passion into Jesus Christ, trusting him for the impossible, even to the point of what? Walking on, on water, something no other man had done. He poured out this, this same passion and refusing to let Jesus be arrested and even going to the point of cutting off the, the, the soldier's ear. But I think that passion, as I said a while ago, also turned at times to, to his running and, and hiding, denouncing Jesus, cursing, even in his denouncing of Jesus three times. Absolute denial of the one who changed his life. 
Again, we know the story there. The rooster crows three times, and this great offense that had been made against Jesus Christ, this cursing and denial of him, this misdirected passion causes Peter to run in fear and shame and, I think, brokenheartedness. When we look at the story of Peter, before he's reaching, he's saying, hey, hey, take up my hand and, and, and walk. Before he's doing that, we see this great story of Peter, this, this leader of the church at this point in time. Broken, gone back fishing. And when Jesus calls the disciples back to him, he specifically names Peter. I believe that call specifically to Peter was a call of love and forgiveness. I don't believe it was a condoning call. Oh, yeah, and that Peter guy, too. The one who had so much hope for. I don't think Jesus said it like that at all. I believe Jesus said, hey, you guys, go, go tell the disciples and, and Peter, too. I think it was a just, a merciful, and a gracious call back to this passionate follower of Christ. I think that's something that we, we have to get. See, Peter... W- w- take a jump back to, to who he was and, and trying to handle circumstances before the resurrection in his own power. He had gone from the only disciple to walk on water to the one disciple named in Scripture who cursed the name in passionate denial of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh himself. But again, he goes away, as Scripture says, God looks on his heart, Peter, in his broken state, I'm sure he had many hours of weeping. I'm sure that he had maybe even days of sorrow and contrition. And when he gets the news that Jesus wants to meet with him, even him, that Jesus still wants to use him, I believe that passion that he first had when he left everything to follow him was renewed. A fire for Jesus, probably greater than he had when he first left his fishing nets. To follow him. And I'll say this, this is, this is no excuse for backsliding, you know, where, where we say, man, well, Peter, you know, he, he was doing amazing things for the Lord, and then, and then he went off the deep end for a while, and, and then God brought him back and used him and did amazing things, even, you know, bringing this man to, to, to walk. So I, I think I'm all right. I'll, I'll eventually get back to the Lord. No. This is no excuse for sin. But what I see in this and what we should see in this is a beautiful example of how God's grace and God's mercy goes even beyond our human minds. It reaches past our downfalls, even our greatest downfalls. And seeing true repentance and true contrition, that grace and mercy still willing to use mankind to do the miraculous among mankind that ultimately brings glory to him, which is, again, an amazing thought. And that's point number one this morning in our notes. And the points that we have are just truths that we see in this first church and and even in the examples of the people that we're we're looking at is this. No matter how far you've strayed, you're still here, and God desires to use you. You see, God wasn't done with Peter. When Peter cursed his name and, and Peter ran away and even went back fishing, and, and, and God wasn't done with him. Why? How do you know that? Well, because what, what history tells us, but the fact that Peter was still alive, that when he denied Jesus Christ, God didn't just strike him down right then. He, he allowed for the repentance and the contrition, and, and, and in his mercy, he, he drew Peter back with him, and Peter, in his faith and obedience to what Jesus had commanded, was used 
by God in an amazing way, even after this great catastrophic denial of Jesus Christ. So we look at that application for us, and you say here this morning that maybe you've strayed so far, maybe you've, you've, you've committed this grave sin, or maybe you've, you've been in a place so long, and you say, I just don't know that God can use me. I feel like I'm so spiritually dry. I feel like I'm so spiritually distant. Listen, you're still breathing. You're still here. God right now is still speaking to your life and your heart right now. And he's given you the opportunity right now, just like he had given Peter. And tell Peter also, you can put your name there. He wants you back in fellowship with him because he wants to use you and he wants his name glorified in your life and through your life. So don't wait. Don't, don't, don't sit back and, and say, well, I just don't think that God. Listen, Peter, when he heard his name and he heard the call, the invitation was open to get back in right fellowship with Jesus. Peter went back to Jesus. And that's the lesson we need to take. Peter, the same Peter, reaching his hand out, having received amazing grace himself, having seen the, the power of God in his own life, the, the mercy and forgiveness that was extended to him is now extending the same in the name of Jesus to a man who is in a desperate need. And that's the call for our life today. Christian, church, that's us right there. We've been given so much love, so much mercy and grace. We've been given so much forgiveness. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how you came up, no matter how far you were away from God, all of us have been given so much love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And our call and our privilege is to share that same exact love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness to those that are in need. I want to say this. If, if you're not gone, God's not done. If you're not gone, God's not done. And if you're sitting there in, 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 in the, the, a puddle of, of, of misery, if you're sitting there in, in, in a... In a uh, uh, a self-pity party, if you're there and, and feeling like I'm unworthy, I've messed up too much. Listen, if you're not gone, God's not done. He's not done with you. And so Peter, in realizing that God was not done with him and God had given him another chance and given him grace and, and called him into this same service regardless of, of what he had done, he was standing there in front of this man and doing exactly what he was called to do. He wasn't selfish with what God had given him, but he was sharing it. And that immediately leads to our second point. And please hear this if you're a Christian. God blesses us so that we can bless others. God didn't save you and forgive you just so you could walk around this life with this amazing peace that you, that you are going to heaven when you die. That's one of the benefits. That's not the only reason why God saved you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But he also said this, go ye therefore. It's our job to share what God has done for us with others. It's our job to share that it's available to other people. The same forgiveness that we are mind blown that God gave to us. God, I can't believe God forgave me for this. Look, I can't believe that God knew that I was going to do this in my life. And he still was willing to go to the cross and die for me. And forgive me of that. Or forgive me of all of this. 
or forgive me of every sin that I've ever committed. I can't believe that God knew all of that. Not only the things that I would do, but the things that I would say. And not only the things I would do and say, but even the things that I would think that were a sinful offense to a holy God. He went to the cross and he still died for and offered forgiveness to me. How in the world could I say, man, thank you, God. That's amazing. All my sins are forgiven. And not think that somebody else could experience that same amazing peace and freedom. To have their sins forgiven. To have mercy and grace in their life. Peter knew it wasn't something physical and temporal that ultimately would be the answer to this man's need. How do you know that? Because Peter experienced that too, right? He went back fishing. That wasn't it. That didn't do it for Peter, right? Because as soon as Jesus said, hey, tell Peter also, Peter came back. Peter had the experience of, well, I'll just kind of go back to my old life. I'll just kind of go back and, and live my life for me again. Peter knew that there was nothing in this world that was truly, go truly going to satisfy the need in every person's life. And so in this man, even though the physical needs were clear, man, he can't walk. He needs money. He can't work. He can't even have a family and provide for his family. It was obvious the physical needs were there. But Peter knew by experience, look, that's not the greatest need you have. The greatest need you have. Is Jesus Christ to change your life? So what happens? Peter reaches out and through this man's faith in the power of the only name that can change a life, the name of Jesus, something happened. And I want you to think about that too. We talked about work before. We talked about faith and action and stuff like that. And Peter, Peter just didn't say, Stand up and walk. <laughs> he, didn't say, he, he, didn't, you know, he didn't say hocus pocus or he didn't do anything like that. He, 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 he said, I want you to look at me. And, and, and Peter, with full faith in what Jesus could do and change this man's life, he, sa he said this. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And then if you look at the next verse, what does it say? Peter grabbed him. Peter grabbed him by the hand. Look, look back at that. You had that verse back up there? Verse 6. Then Peter said, so we're going to name him, uh, as, say, there, I'm sorry, verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Right? That, that's, that's what Peter did. Peter didn't, you know, say, well, I, I hope this works out. Let's see if this works. No. He had faith. He reached down and grabbed the guy's hand, and he began to pull him up. That, that's, that's amazing faith in action. Verse 8, and he leaping <laughs> stood up. I, I imagine, I, I wonder, like, uh, you know, you, sometimes somebody's on the ground, you're going to give them a hand to get up like that, and sometimes they've they're got a little spring in their step, and you're pulling a little extra hard, and they kind of hop off the ground when you pull them up. If you've never experienced that, it happens. But uh, <laughs> that, I, that's kind of what I have in my mind, right? This guy's like, okay, I have confidence in Christ. Peter's like, let's go, come on. You know, and, and he pulls, the guy's jumping, and they, he leaps off the ground. He stood up, and then he walked. And he entered with, somebody who never walked before, he begins to walk. And entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I think I would be trying everything out too, right? Like, this is how you leap. Yeah. <laughs> never leaped before, you know. He was no longer a beggar. He was no longer asking for help. 
he in his mind, I believe, truly thought he was a rich man because of what just happened in his life. Not because of what he had in his pockets or what he had got that day or anything like that. I believe that he truly thought he was a rich man. No longer laying, now leaping. He was healed. No longer a child of the devil, but a child of the king. He was still temporally poor. He, again, he did not have a job. His job was begging. So it's not like he had this, this great temporal forecast in his future like uh, of, of a job and prospects. Not like there's a bunch of businessmen coming by every day. Hey, whenever you get an opportunity to walk, come by and see me. You know, you don't think anybody was saying that to him. Like, you know, they were throwing money at him. Was he still going to need some help? Did he need a job? All those things were true. But it was clear that the need he had in his life was met in Christ. Because he goes to the temple. Right? He could have... When he first started walking, his first thought could be like, now I'm healed. Okay, I, I got to go. I'm going to run and find a job real quick. And then I'll, I'll meet up with you guys later and figure out what about this Jesus thing. No. It's clear that he knew what his greatest need was. And it's clear he knew who met his greatest need. Because the first place he goes is with these guys to the temple. Amen. Not to the bank to, to, to start his account up, to, to set up his... his his, his 401k, he, he didn't do any of those things in the temporal realm. The first thing that he did in response to his life being changed, both temporally and spiritually, was to go to the temple. And I believe that is the truth for everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ. Five minutes before this happened, this man's life seemed to be destined to end in tragedy and despair. What a miserable life. This man was born. He couldn't walk. He was laid at the gate. And he just, he had to rely on people to get him food and give him money and, and, and do everything for him. And, and he died in that state. He never had a family. He never had a job, a successful career. He never got to see kids grow up and do amazing things. He never had grandkids, never could do these things. He, what a, what an, a miserable life to just, to, to be born, to be laid at a gate, rely on other people's uh, charity, and then to die. What, Five minutes before, that was that man's testimony. Again, five minutes before, Peter grabbed him and pulled him up. It would seem that he would be destined to die in that depressed and miserable state, hopeless and helpless. But Jesus changed that. And he changed that through willing and working vessels. He changed that through John and Peter saying, you know what? We're going to trust Christ. We're going to do what he's called us to do. And we're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Not silver and gold, which we can do that. We can, we can help you out. We'll, 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 I'm sure that, that that was part of the process because this man gets added to the church. And then we already saw what, the church was, what was going on in the church. They were taking care of each other's needs already. But the truth then is still the truth today, number three. No situation or life is, is too grim, and that's supposed to be T-O-O, <laughs> too grim for Christ to transform. You fixed it. Thank you. His life had been supernaturally touched by the Lord. This, this man, in an instant, life change. First response, 
go to church. Go be where the people of God are. I've preached this message, you know, uh, about when life change happens, you know, go, people immediately respond and follow Christ. But I'll say it again. When your life is truly transformed, when you have truly been changed, when old things have truly passed away and all things have become new because faith has been placed in Christ, there is absolutely no problem in that person's life to worship the one who changed you. There's no problem in that person's life to gathering with the people whose lives have been changed to worship him. There's not a problem. Matter of fact, I believe when the Spirit of God takes up residence in our life after he does that washing and renewing that only he can do at the moment that we get saved, I believe when the Spirit of God dwells in us, he places an innate desire to worship Almighty God. He places an innate desire to be connected with the family, with the body of Christ. Again, we see it time and time and time and time and time again. No other example do we have in Scripture except for that. When somebody's life has changed, they immediately want to worship God and praise Him. When somebody's life has changed, they immediately join themselves to the people of God. This man had gratitude that he had to express. And what better place to do it than in the temple where the people of God were offering up thanks and praise to God. Again, where other people's lives have been changed. That were bearing witness of the same life change that he had just experienced. He didn't go to the saloon, as D.L. Moody said. He didn't go to his house. He didn't go and chill and hang out. He'd been doing that for 40 years. He didn't go and do that thing that he had never been able to do before. Think about that. Isn't that how we were wired sometimes as, as, as Western Americans? Oh, man, if I'd never walked before and, and I'd never run before and, and, and I really thought I, I wanted to be like an athlete in a, in, in race, in a race, I'd get up and I'd run to the Coliseum and see if I could race and win somebody, you know, beat somebody. Like that's kind of how our mind is. Oh, man, if, I could, if I'd never walked or I'd never been able to do this, I, I would get up and I would go and experience this in the world. Like that's how our, our, our fleshly minds get wired. This man's life had been transformed and changed. And the first thing he wanted to do was go and praise God for it. We've got to check where our hearts are. He didn't go anywhere else but to the temple. At the hour of prayer to offer thanks to Almighty God. And point number four, gratitude and praise are the natural result of a life that's truly been transformed. If our lives are truly transformed... It's, it's us that, that get off, right? That's what happens in our life. When, when it, you say, well, I, sometimes I struggle getting to church. Sometimes I, I struggle with, with singing songs. Sometimes I struggle with praying. And sometimes I struggle with, like, like we all do. We have to realize that's part of the battle of the flesh. And so when the desire to do those things isn't in our face, in, in the center of our life, the passion, I want to be at church. I want to praise God. I, wanna, I don't care about anything in the world. we got to realize that the flesh is pulling us away from the things that the Spirit of God is pulling us to. That's where Paul said, look, I, I die daily. More, and he tells, mortify the members of your flesh daily. Kill the, the, the desires of the flesh daily. Why? Because the flesh is going to pull you away from the things that the Spirit of God wants to pull you to. And so when we start realizing that we're not as much like this, 
this paralytic man, this man who was paralyzed from his, his mother's womb. We're not like him. We're not ready to run to the temple and praise and, and, and pray to God. Then maybe it's our flesh that has grabbed back hold of us and pulled us away. It's the first and foremost desire of the transformed life to give praise to the transformer. I'm going to hurry and we'll be done. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew. They knew that it was he which sat at alms for the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were all filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. And as the lame man which was healed, uh, I'm sorry, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together into the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. Again, this man, because of the fruit of his lips, because of the testimony of his life, was drawing others to the platform. And that's what our lives should do. By the way that we talk, by the way that we walk, by the light, by the testimony, it should happen today like it did then. People knew who he was, who he used to be. And now they're seeing a changed life. There was something different, not just physically, but Spiritually, this man hadn't been in the temple praising God like that. Now he was. He was once a, a beggar. He asked and received. And now his life was being used to give and to pour out. We've got to get this this morning. It was a real life change. And this was the result. That should be the, that should be the story of our life. If my life is truly changed, then my life should be pouring out just like this man's was. You shouldn't be coming. So I come to church, I want to receive, I want to be built up. Listen, if you're pouring out, you will receive. And, and, and not only that, but how many lost people are, are we encountering in our lives that actually see our lives and say, man, the Bible says they wondered. Man, look, look at what that guy's doing. Look how passionate he is about what he believes. His life changed, and then his life impacted others. May that be the testimony of our life. That our praise and our rejoicing, our faithfulness, our commitment draws others to Jesus Christ. Please take the lessons from today and apply them. The times that we're living in demand that we do it. No matter how far you've strayed, you're still here, and God desires to use you. It's not too late. It's not too late for you. You're still here. The second one was God blesses us so that we can bless others. Is that how we're living our lives? Not just, not just financially or physically, but God has given us forgiveness and grace and mercy so that we can give it to other people. Are we giving it to other people? No, no situation in, in, in life is too grim for Christ to transform. So if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, your life has never been transformed. You're still living in your sin. You're still living for sin. I'm telling you today, the reason why God sent Jesus is to die for our sins so that we wouldn't have to die in our sins and face the eternal wrath of God for all, for, forever. We can enter into a relationship with God by placing our faith in the fact that Jesus did die for our sins. He rose from the grave so that he could offer life to all who would put their faith in him. If you've not done that, your life has not been changed. And I'm telling you, you will die in your sin and face the wrath of God. You say, I'm just too bad of a person. No, that's that point. No situation, is, no life is too grim 
for Christ not to transform. And then if our life has been transformed, then gratitude and praise should be the natural result if it truly has been transformed. Is that what is happening in your life? Is that what is happening in my life? Do people really see that there is only one who is truly worthy of praise because of our life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be challenged with your word. Thank you for your word and the story. Thank you for all that you do, Lord, for salvation, for um, assurance of eternity through faith in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you're not done with us. We thank you that your grace and mercy are still available. And I, I pray that if there's somebody here that has not entered into a relationship with you through faith in Christ, that during this invitation, or even before they leave this place, they'll grab somebody and say, I have to know. I, I want to know that heaven's my home for eternity. Lord, for those of us who have already done that, maybe there's somebody here that has drifted far from you. Maybe similar to Peter. Maybe they feel like that their life is, is not usable anymore. I pray that you'll re have revealed to them this morning that you want them back, that you want them close to you so that you can use them to bring glory to your name. So their life makes an impact for eternity. Or maybe there's somebody here that is in, in, a, in the mire of self-pity. Things are going bad, things are hard, things are difficult. And they're looking at their circumstances and they're focused on their feelings. They've forgotten that you changed their life and that this is just a temporal world and, and that you have got a plan to use them. And, and so they're just kind of stuck. And I pray that you just work in their lives right now. Lord, help us to, to focus our all, to give you our all. And we'll praise you as we respond now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand just for a couple minutes as he, as he plays. I encourage you to come.
Amen. Thank you so much. Y'all may be seated. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to be here this evening. Uh, we do have an evening service. Um, I, uh, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to me and uh, Rochelle traveling to a conference, and uh, so Brother Jeffrey's going to be preaching. You don't want to miss it. Uh, he's going to bring the fire. So, <laughs> so uh, y'all, uh, y'all be here this evening. It's going to be a great service. Um, I hope they have a great week. Please remember that we do have our um, uh, trunk or treat this coming Saturday. We're having it on, uh, I know it's going to be an announcement, so I want you to hear it from my voice too in case you zone out. Please don't zone out during the announcements. Uh, but uh, it is this Saturday. We are having it at Willow Creek Park, uh, weather permitting, um, from 6 to 8. It's shortened a little bit. Um, we also are not having the bounce houses, but we are going to have Lots of candy. Please continue to bring donations. We still are going to be sharing the gospel with those that show up. And that's our main reason why we want to be out there in the, in the middle of the city uh, on that night is to be able to share the gospel with people. Um, and so we're doing that. Also have hot dogs and stuff. So uh, we are going to have some interesting ways and some cool ways to deliver the candy uh, because we want to be respectful of the law and stuff. Uh, and so we're going to have some delivery tubes uh, for those who are doing trunks. You want, to, you want to come and see that. It's going to be really cool. Uh, on how it's going to work. So anyways, let's pray. We'll have the announcements and we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. Again, Lord, we thank you for the reminders this morning, the challenges this morning, the help this morning. And uh, Lord, we pray that your, your name will be glorified in, in our lives, in our lives together as a church. And God, that we will be used to make an impact uh, in, in other people. Lord, not for, again, not for our name or to say that we are, are part of it. Not, nothing about us, God. We we truly do, though, want to be used up for you and your kingdom uh, for that eternal purpose that we're still here for. And so, um, Lord, just use us up. And I pray you take us home safely, uh, those that are leaving, and we pray that you'll be glorified in the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.